meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my You know, there's good days and bad days, and there are days that feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, um, I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Natural Law, Beyond Hope and Fear. In this episode, we discuss the power of natural law and how it influences us through the natural flow of our everyday lives. Today, we are joined by Marsha Shibata. Marsha is a master Shambhala Kado and Ikebana instructor within the Shambhala Buddhist community and founder of the Shambhala Kado Rigdon School of Ikebana. She is a student of Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche and Sakyong Mifam Rinpoche. Having studied and practiced in both a major classical and modern Ikebana school, she teaches from the view of nature's innate wisdom and Buddhist and Shambhalian compassionate warriorship. Here's Marsha to take away the discussion. Is not man-made conceptual rules, nor self-made conceptual rules and ideas of how to be. So where does the guidance come from? Is there any guidance that we're talking about here? And the answer is actually quite yes, it's natural. This is not new teachings. This is teachings or I won't even call them teachings. I don't like that word because it sounds like somebody, some human being somewhere Uh, figured out something. Well, they did figure out something. They observed the natural flow or the natural unfolding of life. And by that time, we had language, so people began to write this down and share it with others. And so we used the word, it was taught. Maybe the word, it was pointed out, might be better. Because it's not like teaching how to make a one or a two or a three in a shape, depending on your language. It's more about, look, look, look at that. And the person looks, ah, aha, they see. It doesn't need explanation. Natural law comes from, guess what? And before we actually had language, now I'm going back 75,000 years or more, Before we had language, we actually lived very, very gracefully and graciously with nature because we didn't have to think about things. At that time, I'll just give you a little bit of, a little vignette of where we came from. We were on the coast of Africa, all of us, our ancestors, our ancestors, Uncle Rock and Auntie Stick. And we were just going along gracefully with the day and eating when it was necessary because the food was all around. And uh, shelter, there was enough of everything. We didn't have to struggle. And we got along with each other, men with women, women with men. Children were born and they learned to go along with the whole situation. And we were very lucky, our ancestors. I say we because, you know, we, as we exist now, we still hold that we still hold that wisdom within our body uh, thanks to our uncle rock and auntie stick they were able to pass it down through their children and eventually got to you by the time it got to us it was a little bit covered up maybe a lot covered up maybe tremendously covered up maybe horribly tremendously thickly covered up So we do meditation to try to uncover and go back to our naturalness, our own nature, simple nature, and trust it. 75,000 years ago, we we had the luxury of not having to have a job. How many people still work in the room? So you have to do subway and lunch and all that sort of thing, come home and walk the dog and take out the garbage and all that sort of thing, right? Well, we didn't have to have a job back then when we were coming out of Africa because the food was plenty and the 
The uh, atmosphere was very gentle and warm enough, not too cold. And we could just lie down somewhere and go to sleep when we wanted to. This is what uh, archaeologists have actually discovered. And I love this part of our story. It wasn't one archaeologist, or two, or three, or five, or ten, but it's been a collection of all of the finds and digs and um, putting the pieces together, maybe over a hundred years or more. So there's been quite a few archaeologists gathering wisdom, gathering information. Wisdom meaning, uh, you know, why is this rock shaped in this way? And why is this metal thing in this way? And then maybe in 25 or 30 years, two, uh, the two pieces are put together and they realize that there was an intelligent thing being unfolded as this event called humanity or humanness or whatever, whatever, um, became more and more, I'm going to use the word sophisticated. Sophisticated meaning language, written language, and then all kinds of little inventions or big inventions like weaving cloth. Somebody actually figured out how to make thread, yarn, and then make it into weaving, and ah! You could do something with it, etc., and so on and so forth, until we come to where we are now. In this process of 75,000 years, we have lost, to a great extent, our intimacy with ourselves. This evening, our friend Kevin gave meditation instruction to a few new people, which is wonderful. Thank you, Kevin. And this evening, he mentioned the importance of feeling the breath, when we get lost in our thoughts. Feeling. It took me 30 years to figure that sentence out. (laughs) 30 years. And I was all alone somewhere meditating. I said, ah, that's what that means. Not to think about feeling the breath, but actually feel it. And then I said, oh, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. Later I figured out, I'm not so stupid, but the opposite... But the obstacle for me was language. How interesting, isn't that? So tonight we're doing this thing called a talk, but the talk is not your uh, innate ability to feel. Your innate ability to feel only comes through you when it comes through you, and it's not your thinking. It's your actually doing it. Not just feeling, but seeing Smelling, hearing, tasting. Did I say hearing? I think I did. And also feeling not just on your surface, which is your skin, like your clothing. You can feel your clothing on your skin, though. You can feel temperature and that sort of thing. But also the feeling that's inside your guts, feeling relaxed, feeling uptight, feeling... um, Confused? Boy, that's a good one. If you can feel that you're confused, at least you can feel you're confused and you're not just acting on confusion out of blindness. Um, Feeling danger. Um, Feeling love. Feeling pain, physical pain. All that sort of thing. So the doors, I like to call them the doors or the gates, of how we connect with other is not just through language and how much information that we're passing along, but actually what I feel like when I look at this gentleman and see him (coughs) and witness this gentleman in front of me. That's all communication. Friendly person. I can... This is a friendly person. Maybe that's a friendly person. Natural law... I think there's many ways of actually illustrating it. Uh, One way that I have thought about it is sunrise and sunset. It's a very natural uh, way to understand it. And it pertains to you as well, all all of us. But first let's do the natural sunrise and sunset from the outer 
let's call it the outer world, not the inner world. And before the sun actually rises anywhere on the earth, the earth is cold or cool. Cold, C-O-L-D, or cool. Why? There has been no light and there has been no warmth because our planet depends upon the sun for both of those things. And all of the animals have been resting. The only world that does not rest in the night are, is the plant world. They actually eat their dinner, which is interesting. They, they make their food during the day through sunlight, with sunlight, photosynthesis, and then at nighttime they actually eat their dinner and they give off CO2. Isn't that interesting? So if you hear chomping in the backyard, it's, it's just your trees. So as the sun begins to actually break at the horizon and the light becomes more and more bright, one of the first things that you probably are aware of is the chirping of the birds. Have you noticed that, four o'clock in the morning? They are not resisting the light. And that's a key thing about natural law or natural unfolding of your own life, not to resist, not to resist. Not to resist what is happening. Well, if you don't know what's happening because you can't feel it, then you don't know if you're resisting or not, right? So one of the great, if not the great, if not the most important <coughs> gift of meditation is to begin to feel our existence, happy or sad, good or bad, whatever we feel. It's all, and then from there, from there, from there, we have an opportunity to go forward with, well, two possibilities, confused action or non-confused action. But we, before we even do that, we have to feel ourselves. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes? No? No? Yes? Yes? No? Okay, I think we got a 90% on that one. So the birds are not resisting, and they start chirping, singing. I don't know, maybe they're celebrating and saying, thank you, we got one more day out of this deal. I don't know what they're doing. And as the sun continues to rise and rise, that actually warms the air. The air begins to move. This is called wind, wind, because you have to have heat with air in order for wind to manifest. Also, you will have... Um, evaporation happening, so moisture will be going up. That might collect and become rain later on in the day, depending on, depending on the season and where you are in the world. And then the rain will fall down. Where does this all happen? It happens here on the Earth, not at Mars, at least we don't know that yet. Maybe other parts of the universe, but we don't know that yet. We're talking about the, the natural law here on Earth. So what we've just mentioned is... In space, there is fire, and we call it the sun. So there's space and fire. We've talked about the earth, because all that's happening here upon our earth and with our earth. We've talked about water, space, earth, air. We've talked about air. Still air when heat becomes wind, thus movement, and much happens with wind. Um, things are carried. What is carried? Well, what's carried in the wind? Somebody tell us. Dust? Yes, good. What else is carried in the wind? Where? Yes, seeds. Good. What else is carried in the wind? Mm -hmm. What kind of energy? Can you be more specific? More graphic? What? What? Okay, that's inner. That's inner. I'm talking about outer. Let's go keep with the outer for a while, if you don't mind. How about the birdies? Huh? Somebody said something over here, or squeaked, I don't know. You said birds. Yeah, oh, you did, well. We must be birds in our last lifetime. Right, the birds are actually, you've seen eagles and seagulls soar. So they're just playing, and crows, they play with, with the wind. They use the wind to to move from A to B as well as play. We've named the five elements of the, the world, space, earth, air, fire, and water, and they work together very naturally. There's no discussion. There's no resistance. 
There is no um, fighting. There is leadership. It is natural. It's called uh, natural hierarchy. It, natural hierarchy is not a stuck situation. Sometimes wind is in leadership. Sometimes sun is in leadership. Sometimes water is in leadership. Sometimes wind is. And what was the other one? Oh, sometimes the earth is. For example, sunrise, the sun is in leadership. Water, rain, snow is in leadership. Now, mind you, I'm thinking of the whole planet, so if it's happening here, it might not be happening here. But all of these five elements are constantly in uh, play and relationship all around the world according. So it makes up what we in the human world call weather. Sometimes the earth is in leadership, shifting of tectonic plates under the ocean or on top of the, what do you call it, earth. Fire, sometimes, oh, we did fire. Space, no, we didn't do fire. What did I miss? I think we, maybe we did them all. Do you get the idea? So when the rain stops, when the snow stops, maybe the wind will take over, or maybe the fire will take over. So the leadership now changes. And that's fine. There's no struggle. And in this little scenario, what we're hearing is the law of constant change. Because the weather never stays the same. You know the jokes that come out of every city. If you wait long enough, it will change. Well, it's not a joke. It happens to be the truth. And the only element that really is, let's say, in the stable seat of hierarchy is called space. Because space is the great container in which all of these other elements are allowed to live, be, relate, communicate, take the seat, step down, share, etc., and so forth. And because of all of these five situations, life is possible. Without them, without them, without their communication and balance and their non-struggle, one seed will not sprout. One seed. Do you know what one seed looks like? Think of a... Uh, what do you call those things? Sunflower seed or a sesame seed. Very small, little tiny capsule of life. But it has to have the five elements in balance in order for it to go forth with its manifestation. And you come from the same situation. One little egg. Eggy is actually seed. If the situations, the causes... If the conditions and causes weren't correct, um, you might not be here this time around, nor myself, nor anyone. So it's a very fragile, fragile, delicate, but mighty system. This is really interesting thing about natural law. It's very fragile, but it's very mighty, because we're talking about the, the, uh, the force of life the force of life, how strong, I, I don't want to use the word will, but I don't have another word, how powerful, how mighty the force of life is to wish, I, I can't say that because that's putting too much concept on it, but to just keep going in even difficult, very difficult situations, challenging situations, but it's true. Natural law is beyond human hope and fear because hope and fear doesn't help it. You hope it's going to be a sunny day, but guess what? Tomorrow it's raining. Well, your, your hope was a waste of your own energy. I think in understanding no hope and no fear, there, is, there are a couple of words that I've been able to remember that are helpful. One of them is no resistance. No resistance to what is happening. But, you know, don't be stupid, and if someone is coming towards you with a gun, scream or run away. Don't just stand there and go, no resistance. And the other one is, can't even remember it now. Ah, no, it's the same thing. I've forgotten already. 
That's all right. Now let's turn the the sunrise into sunset. As the day as the day moves along, the light begins to disappear, not because the sun is disappearing. We know that now, thanks to, what was his name, Galileo? Did he figure it out? Was it him? It was him, wasn't it? He said the center, the sun is the center of the earth. Aha. Uh-huh. That's correct. I wasn't going to go that part, but I know he, I know he got into trouble. But it hasn't been so long. It's about 500 years ago. That's not so very long. So actually the sun doesn't really disappear, but what happens is that because the planet, this planet moves, our light begins to disappear, so the warmth begins to disappear. The animals start to go to sleep. The plants start to eat their dinner. And there is what's called rest, which is very much a part of natural law. Uh, We meditate to find... (coughs) and live from that rest. And then the whole cycle starts all over again. Another way of saying this, which is very Buddhist, if you like that uh, collection of vocabulary, it's the cycle of life and death, which never ends. So you don't say the cycle of life and death. You say the cycle of life and death and life and death and life and death and life and death. On into as long as you can keep saying it. Because one always leads to the other. And it has to be that way. So the death part is just simply coming back to space. So that another... mm, So there's opportunity for something fresh to arise. Fresh, fresh, fresh. It is also, now let's go to the inner world, it's also the place from which we can allow our natural law to arise, or our natural wisdom. I'm going to change vocabulary now. If you're running around like a chicken all the time, talking all the time, eating all the time, having these things in all the time, talking on this thing all the time, and doing that all the time, there is no space for you to feel your existence. So one of the diamonds of meditation is learning the importance of slowing down so we can connect to what is in the space within us, which is our natural law, our natural wisdom. Now it's not a big deal. It's not like, you know, there's going to be golden lights coming out of our belly button and we've know what we're going to do for the rest of our life, although that might happen. But it's very simple. You feel hungry. Let's look at an example. You feel hunger. You go to the kitchen. You find something that you feel is the proper thing to eat at this time of the day. There you have the whole natural law of taking care of yourself. It's simple. The Zen community has simple teaching. You probably already know it. When you're tired, sleep. When you're hungry, eat. Isn't that exciting? But that is so profound because it's direct and there's no, um, let's see now, what shall I do now? Shall Shall I do that now? There's none of that business. You simply directly take care of the body that's telling you to go to bed or to eat a banana, to shut up if you know you're talking too much. Because the person that's supposedly listening to you is, you know, looking over space, space, space. Space, space. Natural law has always been on this planet before the human event arose. And it will always be, no matter how chaotic situations might become. And natural law cannot be changed. I'll say that again, the radiator was dancing. 
Natural law cannot be changed. What the human world does to it within ourselves, our individual self and to others and to the greater world outside, is manipulated. So we believe we are in control. But that is a very cruel joke. Joke. J-O-K-E. Did I spell it right? It's a cruel joke because it is not true. So there is something, there are other ways of talking about natural law beyond hope and fear. One of them is the natural law of karma. Have you heard the word karma? Anybody not know the word karma? Or blah, blah, blah? Okay. The natural law of karma, which is that, very simply, you get back what you put out there. You give back kindness, chances are very big you'll get back the same. You put out violence, chances are very big you'll get back the same. There's the natural law of the imbalance of the five elements within our physical body. We talked about, remember, space, earth, air, fire, and water. There's the natural law of the balance or the imbalance of that, both in the physical body and what is what I like to call the psychological body. Do you know what I'm talking about? Tonight, Dan, I'm sorry, Kevin said, sit upright, but not uptight. I thought that was wonderful. If you sit uptight, you can't relax, relax and you can't uh, find a place of, what's it called, something abiding? Calm abiding. Calm, that's it, calm abiding. You can't be calm because you're... <sniffs> Natural law. Natural. We forget we are animals. If you feel insulted, good. Because I would like you to go home with something and maybe one of them, of the pieces that you might go home with tonight, is an insult. Why is she saying that we are animals? We're these smart cookies that do all this stuff. But in fact, our wisdom lies within our natural knowing that we're born with, just like, I'll irritate you some more, just like the trees, just like the squirrels, and just like the street dogs. Now the tree, the street dog and the squirrel has limitation when there is threat. You, oh, we all know what threat is. Danger, threat. The tree cannot move. The dog can run. The squirrel can run. Human beings have four possibilities with threat. We run away. We fight. We freeze. The fourth one is the way of the Buddha, the way of meditation, the way of holding so that natural law or natural conversation, I'm going to say, can arise in you. It's called sitting in the eye of the storm, calm abiding. That's another way of saying calm abiding. Someone is yelling at you. Well, you could be defensive and start crying or or fight back or something like that. Or you could just sit there and let the ocean of the yelling and the aggression come over you. Let it settle. And do nothing. And then the person yelling at you might in fact be shocked. Why am I not getting back a fight? Or they may not. They may just go on yelling at everybody that comes into the room. But still, you have disengaged so that you can perhaps find a way, if it's necessary in a situation like that, to revisit the person at the proper time and perhaps say something to them. Like, you know what? What is your name? 
Michael, you know what? The other day when you were upset, I think I understand why. And I would like to say why, and if I'm wrong, maybe we could have a little conversation. And you might, Michael might just be open to that. And he might not. But those are the chances we take in life, isn't it? Sitting in the eye of the storm, calm abiding, this is our human ability that we can cultivate. And through that, we actually become teachers in a situation, (coughs) just by our being not involved in fighting back, but actually receiving no resistance. Remember we used that term in the beginning? No resistance. No resistance. That's beyond hope and fear. You can't hope to do it. You can't be afraid of it. We, we cultivate it. We practice it at the best we can. Each time something unpleasant, to put it nicely, happens. Maybe it's really rotten. Maybe it's not unpleasant. Maybe it's just really rotten. But you have that strength. I know you do. You just have to cultivate it. That's all. Takes time. Takes a lot of time. Takes courage. Takes making mistakes, but who cares? That's the only way anybody learns. The natural law, inner and outer. And that's it. Don't think I have any more to say, so you're welcome to say something, make a comment, or ask questions. We'll do the best we can. So we um, we are recording all of the teachings, and they go up on our website as a podcast. So I ask if you have a question, if you could just walk over and join Marsha at the mic. So in nature, so we talk about natural hierarchy, right? And there are like certain plants or the animals that fit better together than the others. And like our position in life is that way as well. So how do you... Our, say that again, our relate, what did you say, relationship well, in life? it's just like in terms of when you talk about natural hierarchy. Right, right. right. Certain things like when lions or tigers are supposedly stronger, right? And then there's certain animals supposedly underneath them, right? So in our human realm, like sometimes the position in our life, some. I understand your point about no resistance and acceptance, but at the same time, we as human beings, there's like all this talk about can you kind of like overcome the obstacles, like you kind of move whatever the way you think you should be. So I feel like there's a, I'm trying to kind of understand the really acceptance versus, you know, like the, the the, the part about the human beings you want to kind of overcome, like whatever it is, and versus my place in the world. I'm not sure that's, that makes sense. It it kind of does. It's uh, I'll do. I think I hear you as best I can. Stop me if I am off on a rabbit. I think what I'm hearing is that from you is that in the human world. What's the difference between the human world natural hierarchy? What's the difference between that and the animal natural hierarchy? Is it is it in that realm that you're going? Not in terms of our difference against the animals. More about like okay, we in the human realm is also like the animal world right? or the plant world. There's something that you know everything has its own place. Yes. Yes. Well, that's first of all, let's stop right there because you've already set up a very good, I'm going to use the word koan. Do you know what would make you happy? I'm going to use this crazy word happy in your lifetime. And is it different than where you think you should be? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, This is how 
I, I, this, this is what I trust tremendously because I had good fortune. I followed my heart to do something that is completely ridiculous in most people's minds. And yet, it unfolded the entire universe for me in understanding. And I wasn't even looking for happiness. I think I, was, I know what I was looking for was, I wasn't even looking for something. I wanted to do something and I did it, even though it was completely bizarre compared to the, uh, the way you're supposed to perform, let's say, in America and become, therefore become successful. Do you see what I'm saying? So I went against the tide, and it wasn't easy. It was really difficult. But I'm at the another, I, I'm not going to say the end yet, because I'm not dead yet. But I feel that I, it opened the entire universe for me, so I'm very grateful. So I th if I'm addressing your, your question at all, you first have to feel what you I hate that word, happy. You have, first have to feel where you want to go, not because somebody else told you or society tells you. You have to find it, know it, feel it, and try. Do it. doesn't matter if it goes against the tide, the tide of society. Society is quite stuck in many ways. It's a long story, I won't go there. <laughs> you have to be alone and find your way alone. Not, you know, with a stick and a flashlight, but trust yourself. Try. Don't be gutless. Be gutful. You know? Does that help? Does that... The lions don't have that choice, my dear. But you are a different kind of animal, all of us in the room. We have, um, we have two things. We have a curse and we have a blessing with consciousness. You understand? So use, your, use your, the blessing part. Don't get involved in the curse. There's enough of that around. Okie dokie. You follow? Thank you. Someone else? So with karma, um, so with karma, uh, I think it's a thing. So when you put things out into the world, they'll come back to you. Uh -huh. But there's also, so there's another side to that, to being receptive. So you're putting things out, but then there's also, um, so if there's two people interacting, there's a reciprocity. So if you're putting something mean out into the world towards somebody or something kind, there's somebody receiving it. Um, and then there's also, so I'm wondering what sort of karma does receiving things uh, create and then or how do you deal with that that's one question then the other is that just speaking to what she was saying uh, there's hierarchies in the world like natural hierarchies like families or jobs in which oftentimes you have to you uh, depending on how you view your sense of agency you could often feel more receptive right um, like in, in a family structure if you're a child or something like that and you feel like you have obligations. Um, and then the third question was, uh, is meditation a way of like moving around that? So it's, it's a way of, of, of that cycle of, re of receiving and giving. It's sort of, uh, is it a way of stopping it? Uh, first of all, let's go a little bit backwards. Meditation does help us, yes, to open and be respect receptive to situations that are difficult where resistance arises rather than, what was the other word? Um, receptivity. And yet, it takes time. So when you have the strength to able, be able to actually receive more, it's because you have the strength. So don't expect it to happen tomorrow if you're in a difficult situation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ideally, Marian, ideally, in the human world, each of us, when we speak with each other or are in the presence with each other, we respect each other so that we listen to each other, whether the 
friendly terms or, or irritating terms because there's always something that is arising and we're doing our best to communicate. That's the, in the ideal world. Unfortunately, as things stand now to a great deal, people do not listen to each other. And so the hierarchies are frozen. Frozen. You understand that? Where somebody thinks they always have the position of the sun or the earth or the water or the air. But in fact, in fact, we all have that. So that's very difficult and very painful. I can see it arising in you. And it has uh, arisen in me. I've lived through a lot of it. I cannot fix it. But what you can do, what I can do, again, is to practice this situation, this fourth possibility of the human realm, which is being able to sit in the eye of the storm. And maybe in time, when the storm has calmed, to offer something that the other person might listen to, or hear, or understand, and might not. There's always that possibility, so don't get your hopes up. Then, Marian, in my life, I've had a family too. The parents are dead. My brothers are almost dead. I'm almost dead. But in that span of time of great mm, confusion, it's been through time. It's been through time that I've been able to understand the confusion of my family, and it's not a sore place in me anymore. But you're, I, don't, I don't want to sound condescending. If I am, I apologize. But you're young, and I was young like you too once. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? So give your life time. See what happens to your heart and mind as you live. And if, you're, if your boss is really a jerk, change your job. That's a possibility. It takes work. It's not easy. And don't step in danger's way. Miriam, is that right? Yeah. That's all I can say to you on that. Natural hierarchy is not a person in a stuck place. If a person has a, um, a human being has a position in a hierarchy, they have to be as flexible as space itself and listen to the wind and the earth and the, all the other elements that are coming toward them, holding it, allowing it. This is what the Buddha would call the Buddha. Do you, see, do you hear what I'm saying? Or can you hear me? Okay. I, I'm just hoping to connect with you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I don't really feel... Well, I do. I am talking directly to you. But I'm also coming out of my own experience, and I think maybe other people in the other parts of the room could relate to some of the things I'm saying. Because it's, we all live in different kinds of lives, but in fact, we don't. We all are struggling with the same stuff. And we will. Is that not so? Don't you think so? So, yes, I'm talking to this, to everybody as well, but I'm focusing with you more because you asked the question. <laughs> Does that, is, is that something? Marsha, thanks for your talk. Uh, my name is Misha. What? Misha is my name. Yeah. So I have a two-part question. Uh, the first is, where... Is it, is it, am I correct to think that perhaps we've sort of run amok of natural law because of our consciousness? Is consciousness the first symptom and potentially the root cause of some of the confusions that we have? And then secondly, if that's true, and we do have confusions in the human world vis-a-vis -vis when comparing to the natural world, is it, is it what's one to do when one identifies inconsistencies, things that look unnatural in a human hierarchy. Um, is, is What sorts of actions might be appropriate, whether it's 
you know, you, if you have a hierarchy of in in polity amongst people, when people get some people get very angry, there's a revolution sometimes, and people die and things happen. And um, so, as I think about sort of the appropriate course of action when one thinks about inconsistencies between the human world and the natural world, what is appropriate? How does one think about these sorts of things? And again, am I right that? You know, consciousness might be the first sort of step in that direction. I think I understand your question, remarks. Let's see if we're connecting with the word consciousness, if we both have the same idea of what that might mean. I think I first heard you say that consciousness might be the problem, or is that incorrect? Is consciousness where... 70,000 years ago, we might not have the world that you described. We were in one state, and then consciousness arose, and we've sort of progressed to a different progressness, you know, through time, or, you know, however okay. you want to okay. think about it. Is well, consciousness sort of the root of what, what, what is your definition of consciousness, please? I, I'm working with that as well. Okay. Sort of the decision-making you mentioned to Marianne about, or to everybody here, if you're a tiger, you don't have a choice. If you're a human, you have a choice. Okay, so could, okay, Um, would you, in your mind, would you use the word awareness as a substitute for consciousness? Yeah, sure. Uh, Would you use the phrase uh, of being aware of the inner part of yourself as well as the outer outer world? Is is that part of your feeling of consciousness? Is that sort of, okay, so maybe we, I understand you. I was saying to Miriam, it's, or somebody, it's both our blessing and our curse. Um, Because we also have thought or thinking or concept. First we have sensing, not feeling, sensing. And then that goes into thought uh, and, there, and then solidifies into concept. And that's where we get into the danger zone because we've stopped the flow of our natural movement. Uh, on the other hand, because we have it, uh, we use it, and we can do things like saying, good morning, Mishael. Would you like a cup of coffee? And you can say, yes, please, with cream and sugar or whatever. So that's that's a a part of the human realm that is that lions and trees can't do. So it's a blessing and a curse. Now, what was the second part? The first part of the question was mostly around, you know, you kill the animal when you're hungry. Yes. And then when, when do you start killing two animals? And when do you start domesticating animals? And when do you... And, does that lead, is that what sort of leads to imbalances in potential? It has. It has. It's not a guarantee that it always will if we can get things back on track. But this is what actually happened. It's interesting that you used animals because the archaeologists figured out that it was actually through uh, farming, you know, like planting corn and rice, and the... um, what do you call it, herding yeah, of animals that started to make things into the big mess that we're participating in now because of ownership and, uh, what do you call them, boundaries were made, ownership and boundaries. And this was not so long ago, I think it's 6,000 years ago. So, even though we are blessed, we are... we, we took a bad left turn. So what we're doing... T- please? No, please? No, please, please. No, you, was, you were... So that, that helps. I think we've gotten on to the same level there. And then the follow-up was, if we've taken the bad turn and we've identified inconsistencies between what we see in the natural hierarchy and perhaps what we're sensing, feeling, perceiving, however we, we happen to come to identify inconsistencies that are perhaps a form of what seems like inequity, injustice, however you want to think about it. What is an appropriate action at that point? Because it can range from a revolution and unseating well, the animal yes, and the sun, or the yes, whoever happens yes. to be in charge at that time. My dear, my dear, my dear, we're all in this same question together. 
I think revolution is not a good idea if it's possible to prevent that. We've had enough of that altogether, and things are terribly fragile. The Buddha would say, the Buddha would say, sit down and take care of yourself first. Take care of your mind first. Get off the stick of your own do-do-do-do-do-do. You know, I won't go into Buddhism. Let me go to a little bit of Buddhism. Get off the stick of your own passion, aggression, and ignorance. Tame your ego. Open. You've heard all that stuff before, haven't you? you? I'm sure you have. That's what we have to do, little by little. You know, we were saying it before, but it's true. As you live your life, when, whatever you extend to another person, which stems, starts from you, you are teaching them something. If, even if it's a simple smile or... I'm having thoughts now about Michael's... Um, you're Michael, right? Mark. Mark. About his forehead and his hair. It's sparkling. It's very nice. So that's a positive bzzz. That's all I can say to that. I don't know. I have no control over the situation. I can only practice with this one. Is anybody over here kind of been sticking on this corner? Um, I think this kind of connects to what you were talking about a little. And because I know what I've been struggling with a lot is um, if someone like commits a transgression against you or just does something that um, doesn't feel good, doesn't make you feel good. And I'm finding it hard sometimes. Like I know, it's like knowing the difference between when you're advocating for yourself and kind of teaching them or when like you just kind of just want to be right in a way. Because I think I can recognize when I say something that I feel I'm, I'm telling this person that this wasn't appropriate, but then it turns into this back and forth and you just want to have the last word. And so it goes from feeling like it had an honorable intention to maybe I just wanted to be right. And I know that that connects back to what you were saying about being able to just sit with that in the moment and let your, I guess, demeanor be the teacher, but it's so hard to do. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm recognizing that hierarchy within that, that in that moment that I'm thinking that I'm supposed to be teaching them the lesson, I'm taking this higher up level that maybe, anyway, I just wish, wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Natasha, you answered your own curiosity. You already know. So it's a matter of, you already know. It's a matter of stopping before you go into that separated place and hold. It's very, it's difficult. It's difficult because it's painful. Nobody wants pain. But you can do it because you've, you've already been able to discern this whole thing. Absolutely. Words are cheap. Life is tough. But it doesn't mean that because life is tough, it doesn't also have ice cream and other nice things as well. So don't forget that part. You're very, you already know. Thank you.